we reduce the conversation about sexuality to sex and, and then we want to argue about, okay, is, is it supposed to only happen within marriage when we don't even really understand our sexuality? And so there again, we reduce it to the act and go, well, that act happened outside of marriage. Why though? What's broken in our identity and our longing to know, know God and know intimacy, true intimacy where, where there's no fear, we could actually be naked and unashamed. But we, we have been there again trained to say, it's the act and that's like, you know, I, I'll often say, Deb, like God's not sitting up in heaven on a throne and he's just freaking pissed off because your neighbor's having sex with his girlfriend. No, he, he cares about it in this, that you don't understand his heart for you and you don't understand who he's made you in his image to be and the depth of relationship he longs for you to have. And so it breaks his heart that you're trying to fit everything else in instead. That, that's what he's concerned with, not the act, it's the heart behind it. You know, Christians have this tendency to look at the broader world as all these people, you know, kind of pursuing sex and sexuality and, you know, trying to, you know, have all these needs met. And we look at it in a negative, and I say from a missional perspective, just, you know, think about what if in humanity's explicit search of sex is an implicit search for God. Welcome to the Everyday Disciple Podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Cesar Kalinowski. Hey, hey, glad you've joined us again for this episode. I'm just going to dive right in and invite you to join us over on the Facebook group. We are uh, over there. I'm in there every day. It's an easy way to talk, stay connected, uh, hear about training that's coming up, new episodes. And also, I want to invite you to join us in the Facebook group, or if you already are, join me in there with some ideas for things you'd like us to talk about on upcoming episodes of the Everyday Disciple podcast. Getting ready to record a whole new batch of episodes, and I would love to speak to things that you want to hear about, things connected to the gospel speaking into everyday life and everyday discipleship. So if you want to do that, you can search that up on Facebook real easy for the Everyday Disciple podcast, or just go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash Facebook, and that'll take you right there. And for those of you who have joined, there's a real easy little button to invite others to join. So within your friends and all that in Facebook, I would love it if you do that. Many of our really committed listeners are consistently inviting friends to the Facebook group as well to make sure they're getting those reminders of the new episodes that drop every single Monday morning. So I invite you to do that. Join us in the Facebook group. I hope you will. And as always, if you'd like to explore getting some help setting up a full framework for discipleship and mission as a lifestyle, I'd love to connect with you and see if we can help. You can set up a short Zoom call by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash discovery. That's everydaydisciple.com forward slash discovery. And we can just chat. I can get to know you a little bit, see what your context is, maybe what some of your challenges are, and see if we could help you out with that. I would love it. Now, today, I am super pleased to be able to share this repeat broadcast of a conversation that Heath and I had a few years back now, hard to believe, had with my good pal, author, Rockstar. Our sister to many, Deborah Hirsch. Deb is going to help us reframe our understanding of our sexuality in light of the gospel. 
Yeah, not too many people talking about that. Listening to this interview today reminded me of just how powerful her ideas and clarity around our sexuality and relationship with God is. Deb Hirsch is a speaker. She's a church leader and obviously a writer and author. She's led churches both in Australia, where she's from, and Los Angeles. And along with her husband, Alan Hirsch, who you've probably read his books as well and heard him here on the Everyday Disciple Podcast, she is one of the founders of Forge Mission Training Network. Awesome stuff they've done. Now, her new book, Redeeming Sex, reflects something of her own journey and attempts to bring new conversations around sexuality into the context of the church. Deb has been involved in social work, community development, and as a trained counselor has worked in the field of sexuality for, oh, 25 plus, maybe 30 years now. I want you to take a listen. Hey, Heath, good to be here and pretty excited to have our sister Deb with us. Deb, I have been in love, well, with you and Al forever, but this book has just been so... Oh, I know it's blessed so many people, but it's it's not just the book. It's really your heart, and it's, it's your posture towards sexuality and identity and just the conversation that's so often, uh, we literally, like our parents and teachers and pastors did not teach us well on. So I'm really excited about that. Deb, can I start us off? Sure. Yes. Uh, your book, Redeeming Sex, came out a couple years ago uh, and was super transformative to many people. I was even reading as I was doing some research for the show, just blogs and people quoting it, massive impact for a lot of people. Would you mind sharing a bit of your background on why this topic is something that you're so passionate about? Like, why did you write this particular book? Well, that is a good question. And this is going to sound like the very simple kind of answer that everybody gives, but I really did feel a calling to write it. A number of years ago, or many years ago, you know, back in Australia, I would uh, do a a teaching series at some of the seminaries there about identity and relationships. And, and a number of my students back then, you know, constantly saying to me, you need to put this into a book. And, and I always had a sense, yes, I would write a book. And, and to be honest, I had a couple of people in different countries even who uh, didn't really know much about me and, and felt that, you know, had a word for me and said that I was going to write a book. So it's been been a brewing for a long, long time. So obviously it's been on your heart and you've been speaking about it. And that's why people have been, you know, for years have been asking you to write on it. I totally see that. Uh, why was it on your heart to even begin to speak about it, given all the various topics that you could have spoken to and, you know, that people need to hear about? Why, you know, why that particular topic was, were you being called to and kind of gripped by it? Sure. Well, partly it's my own, uh, part of my own personal journey. When I uh, found Jesus, or I should say when Jesus found me, um, I was living and identifying as a gay woman, as were uh, a number of my friends, and we all had a, you know, spiritual encounters and ended up, um, you know, some months down the track coming into the community of faith in terms of finding a church home and just realised how little resources were in the church for not just um, understanding um, the gay community per se, but just sexuality in general. And um, I was quite... Well, we were all quite taken back, actually, um, of the little understanding um, and and just the just even conversations around human sexuality. It seems that I know the church I grew up in too. It, any aspect of sexuality or sex or identity, it was it was tiptoed around. It was not really taught, discussed. It wasn't understood the depth of who we are and humanity and how much that's a part of who we are. It was almost just not even on the shelf. Yeah. Well, that's certainly right. That's what was my experience as well. And 
it was quite concerning, to be honest, and particularly as um, when I met Al and we got married and went into full-time ministry, a lot of our early um, ministry experience and, and some of the stuff that we did really was around a lot of people that were, you know, what we might call, um, you know, damaged in areas of their sexuality or felt, felt a deep sense of brokenness about their sexuality. And, um, you know, we worked a lot with male and female um, prostitutes uh, in our, with our first church plant. And, and it was a lot of, you know, there weren't a lot of resources to help uh, people like that. And, so uh, we were very, from a very, um, from the very beginning, really very immersed in the whole field of sexuality, and and I went on to, um, you know, be trained as a counselor as well, and did a lot of counselling in that area. So it was something particularly close to my heart, and and in our, our church, again, we were dealing with with lots of uh, se- sexuality and lots of sexual problems and sexual brokenness. It came out of that really. You know, it seems easy to say, oh, well, you know, we're looking at a person who has, you know, maybe uh, identifying LGBT or, you know, ge- gender confusion there or a prostitute or something. It's easy for us to say, oh, see, there, there's there's a problem with their sexuality. But I'm sitting here thinking, like, uh, I can remember back to when I was young and a, and a boy and a man and then becoming a dad and all. Is, isn't it true that, that, we, that probably many or most all of us have aspects of our sexuality and our identity kind of broken? Oh, very, very much so. And and I think one of the things over the years that I have come to a, come to realize is that particularly, and and I guess this is more relevant too for today, um, in a sense, is you know I've come to look at the whole, say, the LGBT conversation as a micro conversation, and I think we get we get stuck in that conversation because you know the church is a bit freaking out and trying to how do we respond to this and all of that, and I say to people. Um, we we, ha- we can't just focus on the the micro conversation. We need to put it into the context of the macro conversation because if we just focus there, we are missing the whole big picture. And the whole big picture is that we are all sexual, <laughs> profoundly sexual, each and every one of us, and we are all profoundly broken in our sexuality. And I find it's too easy for the church to point to the sexual minorities and declare them broken, which frankly, has become a very offensive word to them, and I can completely understand that. Um, so it's important for us to recognise if we're going to say sexuality is broken in certain individuals, we're going to say it's broken in all of us because sin and brokenness has impacted every aspect of our humanity. Yeah, so it's very important for us to get the macro picture on this because it actually includes all of us in the conversation. It's not just about you know, we point the finger at those people over there. It's actually about all of us. We'll never get there until we go to the macro, like you said. No, that's exactly right. So, Deb, uh, a little bit of my story. I come from maybe the flip side of the coin, being raised in the church. And it is interesting, even as you're talking, uh, and the church not being willing to engage in these conversations, maybe it's fear or maybe it's uh, trying to play it safe. Because it's n- it's never addressed sex is viewed completely distorted, even when they're trying to approach it from a healthy standpoint. So me and my wife, 12 years into marriage, both of us have only been with each other in our marriage, but because we were both raised in the church and and sex wasn't talked about, we still 12 years later feel like, are we allowed, is this okay? Is this, you know, it's, it's scarred every aspect. And one of the interviews I watched, you had mentioned the importance of broadening our definition of sexuality much further than we currently do. Um, how would you unpack the concept of sexuality, and what do you really mean by this? Yeah. <laughs> yes, well, well, let me just say, as you were talking about your experience there, I thought of a 
a quote that I have in my book that if, if I can just read it, I think it's quite a funny quote, but it sums up so much. And this is by Butch Hancock, and he's talking about life in Lubbock, Texas. And he says, life in Lubbock, Texas taught me two things. One is that God loves you and you're going to burn in hell. The other is that sex is the most awful, filthy thing on earth, and you should save it for someone you love. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, Deb, make sure you email that to me, and I think we have... <laughs> We'll have to add that to the big three it's just because people are going to want to have that. So yes. yeah, later on when we get to the big three, I'm going to add that. So yeah, no, I'm serious. Like send me that. That's amazing. Okay. I will do that. Um, How would you encourage us to yeah press those limits and unpack that concept of sexuality? Well, I think um, what we have to do is I kind of say it like this. We have to rescue human sexuality from being predominantly uh, remaining in the realm of genital sexuality. Um because when our scripting is such that when we think of sexuality, we, we really, we narrow it and re, re, we reduce everything about sexuality down to what I say, what we do with our bits and bobs, which is just a funny way of... <laughs> Your bits and bobs. Our bits and bobs. Yeah, I think I would say, I, I'd say we're reducing it down to do equals be again. Mm. You know, like it's like it's all about the act. It's all about the bits. <laughs> well, there you go. That's, that's, that's very right, Caesar. Um, so I think we've got to rescue it from there. That it certainly is part of our sexuality, obviously. I mean, I say to people, you know, it, none of us would be alive today if somebody didn't have sex. So clearly it's a very strong link towards life itself. Um, but it's in terms of the way we respond as sexual beings, it's much, much more. You know, if we look at sexuality more as our relational side of who we are as humans, uh, that that includes all of our relationships, not just those that might be motivated uh, genitally speaking. And and Deb, isn't there? And there's got a there's a deep. I know I've heard you talk about this. There's a deep uh, connection between our sexuality and the depth of relationship that God has for us. And that might freak our listeners out right away. You know, um, unless we broaden our understanding of our sexuality, how do we how do we actually embrace the depth of relationship that God actually has for all of us? Yeah, and and I think that's exactly right, Susan. And I think you're you're tapping into something here that is, uh, you know, an increasing concern for me too. Is because I think, um, I think our, our sexuality is we, we miss a lot of the connections between our sexuality and our spirituality. You know, our spirituality in the you know in the broadest, biggest sense of the term is our longing to know and be known by you know, what I call the, the capital O other beyond us, you know, that we as believers name and uh, as, as you know, in Jesus, we name God, who we come to know in and through Jesus. And I think our longing for God, um, you know, the, the, that is mirrored in a sense in our longing for one another. And, um, and I think that, you know, in the church, we, you know, we, we limit a lot of our depth or intensity of feeling and emotion to the marriage relationship which kind of, you know, is problematic on multiple levels, um, not the least that, you know, our our singles are not taught to feel deep or to feel passionate about others um, because that's reserved just for marriage. And I say, no, God has created us as people to have a, a depth of um, a depth of longing and, and a depth of passion. We feel deeply as people. And I think Christians don't feel deeply enough, actually. I think we're not passionate enough for one another and, I think passion, again, goes beyond just the genital connection. And talk about, again, the, the micro-conversation. We, we have so often, and I, myself is, you know, I'll put myself on that list, we reduce the conversation about sexuality to sex, 
and and then we want to argue about okay is, is it supposed to only happen within marriage when we don't even really understand our sexuality and so there again we reduce it to the act and go well that act happened outside of marriage well well why though you know like what's what's broken in our identity and and, and our longing to know know god and know intimacy true intimacy where, where there's no fear we could actually be naked and unashamed but we we have been there again trained to say it's the act and that's like you know i i'll often say deb like god's not sitting up in heaven on a throne and he's just freaking pissed off because your neighbor's having sex with his girlfriend you know what i mean <laughs> you know it's like no he his his he cares about it in this that you're not you don't understand his heart for you and you don't understand who he's made you in his image to be and the depth of relationship he longs for you to have and so it breaks his heart that you're trying to trying to fit everything else in instead that that's what he's concerned with not the act it's the heart behind it and you know imagine if we thought of you know we we christians have this tendency to look at the broader world as all these people you know kind of pursuing sex and sexuality and you know trying to you know have all these needs met and we look at it you know in a in a negative and i say from a missional perspective just you know think about what if in humanity's explicit search of sex is an implicit search for God. Oh man, that's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, in the in the, in the Chesterton, you know, G.K. Chesterton uh, uh, suggested that a man knocking on the door of a brothel was actually looking for God. So, what you know, what is what is going on there? And I do think our our human longing for one another is a reflection, you know, of our greater longing for God. So, imagine missionary if we if we started thinking of it like that, it would just we would be less likely to judge people and more likely to see the God traces in in their lives and the God longings in their lives. You know, Deb, um, I think what you're saying, you've said like three or four things that are really, really powerful uh, in our search. Yeah, dropping for, bombs today. Yeah, I can't keep up. Uh, one of the things that you had mentioned was, uh, especially in the church, uh, you've called the church to develop more of a robust sort of theology of sexuality and maybe even saying that we need to create a new language or inject new meaning into some of the concepts we have. Uh, what does this look like and sound like? Do you have any examples of this? And is this going to freak people out? Well, the church already gets freaked out by sexuality. So I don't, um, maybe I freak them out a little bit more with my, the way that I communicate about it. But honestly, I think we, we need a good shakeup. So I think the first way is that we've just got to talk normal about this stuff. You know, still we we don't have a language. We're not we we don't know how to talk about it. Number one, because we've still got this weird cloud of taboo that hangs over all things sexual, and so we still kind of talk about sexuality like this, you know, <laughs> or in very very rigid legalistic ways. There again, sort of reducing sexuality to the act, not not the person. Yes, like this naughty thing, you know, that's kind of done behind closed doors and with lights off. It's just. Again, you're exactly right. We reduce it to that, and it's all this kind of negative uh, stuff. So I think um, we've we've got to be able to talk about it more freely, more openly. And I think this is where I'm seeing such a great gap between the generations at the moment. When I'm talking with younger people, they say it as it is. <laughs> they just say it as it is. And yet, when you get them inside the church context. Among one another, they might still say it as it is, but it's not, you know, they don't talk about it like they would with me, like they would with uh, other people in the church or with, you know, certainly with their parents. And and so I think there's a there's a gap going on there. We've, we've got to play a little bit of catch up there. Well, there, there's also a cultural 
I think there's a cultural freak out. Like, I mean, you, I'm sure you've had this happen, Deb, uh, having been, you know, full-time pastor, he's a pastor. It's like, um, even people who are not inside the church, those who may not count themselves Christians, follow Christ, um, they'll say things connected to sex or their sexuality and then apologize for it. Yes. Yeah. You know, be like, oh man, me and my girlfriend last night were really get. Oh, sorry, pastor. I forgot. You know, it's like, yeah, I we know, don't use those words. <laughs> uh, we, we don't use those. We don't talk about sick. Can I, can I say penis? Is that okay? You know, pastor, father, you know, or something. it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, well you have one. I have one. I guess we can talk. You know, so. Yeah, um, it's, very true. Well, how does the Deb? How does the church get, um, you know, uh, a new language when we don't have it yet? It's kind of like saying, "Well, we we suck at English, so let's just make up a new." You know, how do we help? You know, how do we help? I, I think I love what you're saying. Like, we got we have to start talking about. It. We have to get it out and open and 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 not just reduce it all the time to the act alone. And the would you say bobbles and bits, bits and bobbles, <laughs> bits and bobs, bobs, bobs bits yeah. and bobs. Okay. Bits and bobs. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, again, it's we've got to normalize it. I think uh, Caesar, it's got to be normalized. This is not. Um, this is part of who we are. We we have longings, we have desires, um, and again, it's not just limited to the genital. You know, I often say to people, I've been in love with more people than I've wanted to have sex with. Um, you know, we so we've got to we've got to start naming some of that. We do get drawn to certain individuals, and it doesn't have to have anything to do with sex. But what does it mean to be able to emotionally bond with others and again you know this taps into all of the stuff in the church around you know boundaries between you know the two different sexes um and and again i mean i don't even want to i can't don't have the time to go into but even just the two different sexes we've got to really catch up a lot with what's going on in broader culture regarding gender and all of that as well oh let's have you back and let's talk about that huh let's talk about gender that's a big conversation right there I, i often say to people in the context of the church that's one conversation we don't really get is the gender conversation because we're still fighting over what roles men and women should have where broader society is completely redefining what it is to be male and female. <laughs> so. You know, it's something that even as you're talking, I'm, I'm convicted uh, of how you, it's, it's sort of what you're saying. Like we tend to be late to the game in any conversation. The church tends to like, as a whole, disregard the conversation until it's the forefront of cultural engagement. And then we come across as angry and frustrated because we haven't thought through it. We've seen it with the abortion issue. We've seen it in gay rights issue. Like the church stays really quiet. And then all of a sudden freaks out, we lose our minds because we're 30 years behind because we haven't paid attention to, or, or welcome. I feel like the church needs to be leading those conversations. Wouldn't you say so? Oh, absolutely. We should be leading these conversations on every level. Um, you know, God was the one that came up with the idea of male and female um, God was the idea who came, you know, the one that came up with, with the orgasms for goodness sake. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for inventing that God. <laughs> <laughs> Super thankful for that. But it, it does highlight something. I'll, I'll never forget years ago when Alan did a, a wedding and, um, he was, you know, you know what a wedding's like, it's a very formal, uh, situation there up the front of the church. And he's, I'm, you know, I tune in and out to my husband sometimes. It's just the way it is, isn't it? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> But I Tina, tuned. I'm going to ask him. Tina a question now. <laughs> no, yes. But I tuned into him when he was he was actually saying, "Wouldn't you like to meet the God who created the orgasm?" And it was one of those moments where I clutched my pearls and thought, "Oh my gosh, did he just say that? We're at a wedding, and of course, he thought it was perfectly normal. It's a wedding, you know, things are going to happen that night." And but um, <laughs> the fascinating thing for us was, you know, there were some Christians there that were offended that he used the word God and orgasm in the same sentence, and yet. 
All the non-Christians were lined up afterwards wanting to talk to him about the God who created the orgasm. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, again, we get funny about using those words, but again, this is our God's idea. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? Like, I'm just sitting here listening, Deb, and you talk about it needs to be out in the open. It needs to be more normalized. Of course, God created it. He creates it all good. It's for our pleasure and yes. his glory. And I remember when we were raising our kids, you know, we, we didn't do everything right, certainly as parents. But one of the things that we kind of early on talked about, Tina and I, was that um, we're going to normalize that conversation. Like, it's not going to be like the first time we talk about, you know, uh, our private bits, you know, our, our you know, our, our genitals is going to be like when they're about 12. And then it's like, nope, we're going to talk about it. And if that way, if anything is a problem, they have questions, anybody's messing with them, uh, their identity is connected to it in some like shame or weird way. We're just going to normalize the conversation, both from an identity standpoint uh, a physical standpoint, a pleasure standpoint, everybody has genitals standpoint. And, and, you know, I think it, it's, it really was exactly what was needed. And I think it's, it's kind of like, I mean, we, we often say that, that discipleship and, and really leading church is kind of a reparenting of the culture, so to speak. So yeah, that, that's yeah. kind of how I'm connecting it. Yeah, no, that's very true. And, and again, today, you know, you've, but parents ask me all the time, when should we start talking about it? And I say to them, when they start asking. I mean, it's the, the, the reality is, is, is the world is educating uh, very, very early. And we, again, we're behind on that. So yeah. I, I think you're right, Caesar. We've, we've got to be way more open and normalize it. So parents don't have the talk with your kids. Just talk with your kids. You know, yes, that's, good, that's right. right. That's exactly right. So, so Deb, um, as we kind of start to move towards wrapping things up, let me let me ask you a question. And you're such a sweetheart, but I want you to be really super honest here, because if you know, if we need a bit of a, you know, kick in the rear, that uh, let's go for it. But what's one thing that the church really needs to hear regarding sexuality, right? You know, today, and you know. What's one thing maybe the church thinks they understand, but they really don't? Maybe that's the same thing. I don't know. Well, I think gender is definitely that. Our response to broader culture is um, woefully inadequate, let me say it that way. So that's one. But you know what? The other, the other one I think that is really important too, and, and this goes back to the earlier question about how we can bring in you know, new meanings or new concepts or or new meanings to old worn concepts. I think the whole issue or the whole conversation around celibacy is really, really important um, because at the moment those that are walking the path of celibacy or attempting to or, you know, our singles, both straight and gay, um, you know, really feel like they're, they're locked in a lifelong, um, you know, prison sentence in solitary confinement. There's a whole lot of negativity around that that, it's kind of like a burden that they have to carry. And, and yet there were different times in church history where I think celibacy was seen as the highest spiritual ideal. And it was like, oh, if you have to, get married <laughs> in a sense. And I think... That's right. That's right. Paul said that, didn't he? Yeah. And so I think today we need to have, a, we need to create a much more healthy, positive conversation around celibacy. Um, and also what it, inter what it means, you know, we're talking about people being single. What does it mean to be single within the, the church of God? And I think, and still be a sexual being and still be a sexual being. And again, that's what we need to expand our understanding of sexuality because it is not just about, you know, having sex. It's, um, it's about having a, 
uh, relationships that are deep and that are soul-filling, you know, for us on multiple levels. And, um, and I think, you know, when we begin to have more positive conversations around celibacy, we get to bring Jesus into the conversation, who was a celibate man, who, whose call was not to be married. So therefore, genital sexual expression in that sense wasn't, um, in a sense, available for Jesus uh, because of his distinct call. So he needed to kind of really engage or uh, the whole world of his social sexuality in order to sustain his full humanity. And I think he becomes then a very viable model uh, for those that are walking the path of celibacy. Um, but it also is, is a conversation that impacts all of us because in, the, in God's church, I don't believe there should be any such thing as a single person. We, are, we ought to belong to one another. And so it raises questions around redefining family. What does it mean to belong to one another? What, what was Jesus talking about when he redefined family? And clearly it says that Jesus was fully God and fully human. It wasn't like, well, mostly human. And, no, but, he is. But he, but he was celibate, so, you know, he kind of missed out on a big part of that. So it's like, no. Well, well, that's right. And, and, so, and I laugh because, I mean, in our broader culture at the moment, you know, celibacy is seen as suspicious at best. You know, it's usually it's like you're either suppressed or you're oppressing something or you've got psychological hang-ups. And I think, well, you know, no, I don't think people would be brave enough to say that of Jesus. You know, he, here he was, a fully human man, fully whole and healthy. Just to make sure it's been said a couple of times, because, wow, Deb, we could, we could just keep talking and talking. I, I want to make sure people do go and, you know, get online, go to the store, whatever, get your book, Redeeming Sex. And I love the subtitle, Naked Conversations About Sexuality and Spirituality. Boy, if that doesn't make you want to read it. So make sure you get that. Keith, where are we going? Yeah. Now? So, Deb, as we close, uh, thanks for being a guest with us. This, we hope you come back. We've got, it sounds like this is just starting to crack open the chest of where we could have conversations about gender and sex and the LGBT community. So I think we have a lot more in the future. But as far as this current conversation that we've had, we'd like to close each podcast with like three things that we can give away to our friends uh, based off the discussion that we just had. So this could be advice or action steps or something that they get to do right now. And we call those the big three. Yep. And I, I love that Deb is giving us our big three for this episode. And you can get a free downloadable PDF of this week's Big Three by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash Big Three, B-I-G-3. Deb, what would, you, uh, what would be your Big Three for this week? Well, I think, read the whole conversation. That's, you know, particularly, um, again, as, as believers, we, we have a bit of an inconsistency or an imbalance in the church as what we call sin, <laughs> I think. Um, I think for, for most of us and most communities of faith, that when we're talking about sexual sin, we are, they're the ones that seem to be the sins that are on the top of our totem pole, if you like, the more important ones. So I like to say to people, first and foremost, you know, why are they up on the top of the totem pole? Why do sexual sinners always feel like the ones that, you know, are never forgiven or they've always got, you know, they wear the kind of, you know, the shame, I guess, on them? So just be a bit more consistent with what we're calling sin. God doesn't rank sin, right? God doesn't rank sin. God does not rank sin. So, you know, be careful with that. I think that's really important. Get perspective there and um, start paying attention. If you're going to call one sin out, make sure, you know, you're focusing on other things as well. Look, look to Jesus as your model there. You know, what were the things that were important to him? I've often said, like, we, we will jump on that and, and, you know, marginalize people and just really go after that. 
and then leave this church service and go to the all-you-can-eat buffet. And, you know, we know that like two-thirds of America is overweight or obese. And it's like, but no one would ever say anything about it. You know, it's like, like what? Okay. So, okay, that's a that's a great first of the big three. What's your second uh, big takeaway for us, Deb? Well, I think most of us draw our sexual ethics in a, in a sense, well, when we're looking at the New Testament anyway, from Paul. And if you read Paul, he says some pretty strong things. There's no uh, denying that. Um, and they're important things. But I say to people, when you when you read Paul and you're developing your sexual ethic, read don't read Paul without taking on the posture of Jesus. Um, and I think we can say that for for all things, obviously. But I think Jesus, when you know, we there's a few encounters there that he has with people that we might call sexually broken. You know, the woman caught in adultery is the classic one, my, one of my favorite stories. Look at his posture there. There's something so deeply incredible and accepting of Jesus. And I think what he shows us is that acceptance must precede repentance. Um, In The Woman Caught in Adultery, he says to her, after he levels everybody, which is just beautiful, he then says to her, you know, uh, your your accusers have gone, or she tells him her accusers have gone, and he says, neither do I condemn you. There's a words of deep acceptance. It's the open arms of Jesus, uh, first and foremost, before he says, now go live your life of sin. And I think in the church, we've reversed that order. We, we kind of communicate to people, go leave your life of sin, then we will accept you. Uh, with Jesus, it's the other way because Romans tells us that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So model the posture of Jesus. Don't miss, don't miss. Acceptance precedes repentance. Wow. Yeah. Okay, number three. That's so good, Deb. Wow. Well, just I think for number three, really, just begin to bring grace back into human sexuality. I think our sexuality of all of who we are, our sexuality has been the le- the least area that we have graced, um, particularly as a church. Um, so I, I just say to people, do you know what? When we mess up sexually or when we're broken in areas of our sexuality, this is our sexuality is our most vulnerable part of who we are, isn't it? It's where we feel our pain. It's where our longings are felt. It's our desires for intimacy on genital and non-genital ways. Um, and I think that we all feel a sense, especially when we do uh, sin and when we are broken, there's, it's very easy to get a whole, to have a whole lot of shame that begins to surround us. And I think shame is not good for the human soul. <laughs> it's not good at all. And I think we must bring sec- uh, grace back into uh, a disgraced area of our lives. And I think um, in doing that, I think you know, there will be a, it'll be a different church. Wow. There's, there's no shame in the gospel and there's no should, and there's no supposed to. I mean, we, in Christ, we get to, or we need not. And it's it's beautiful, Deb. Thanks for that reminder. Wow. Yeah. And if you're liking the podcast, be sure to head over to iTunes and you can subscribe to it. You could rate the show, write up a review that helps us be able to get these conversations out to people that might not normally hear it. Deb's book, Redeeming Sex is available on Amazon. Go get the book. Get the book. A great read. Again, Deb, thanks so much, sister. Thanks, guys. Lovely to talk with you both. Well, I told you, she is so smart and gentle and articulate. I really love this conversation. And I really love the hard work and blessing that Deb and Alan both continue to be to the church. And I'm humbled to call them both really good friends of mine. Well, that's it for today. I hope that this has given you plenty to think about. And I hope you'll share this episode with others in your life and in church. 
And please join us again next week. We will continue to look at how the good news of the gospel speaks into and reshapes everything about everything. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day.